Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube-fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their journey from feeding tube to family table. Hello, and welcome to the Tube to Table podcast. In this week's episode, What's Love Got to Do With It? We're talking a little bit about how loving and attached relationships impact tube weaning, or how they should anyways. (laughs) So I'm Jenny, and I am joined by Heidi. Hi there, Heidi. How are you? Hi, I'm great, Jenny. How are you guys today? We're doing good. We're hanging in there. You know, things are still crazy, but we're uh, yeah. getting the hang of it and getting some new routines. And yeah. it's it's easier. I think, you know, the COVID stuff is like, you've got this new way of life now. It's, at least it's not so shocking every day. It's a little right. bit routine. Right. Like a new normal. Yeah, you know, exactly. like any big life changes, it becomes a little more normal. So I think that's where we are. Yeah. And you guys are holding up okay? We are. We are. We um, have had a lot of increased interaction with friends and Zoom and all kinds of different platforms and learning technology better. And Mm -hmm. um, our neighborhood has had a lot of great connections by waving across the street or sitting in lawn chairs across the driveway from each other or whatever. (laughs) So that's been actually really fun to see some of those increased connections in new and odd ways without relying on you know old patterns yeah I had a um, uh, zoom bridesmaids meeting one of my friends got engaged in the middle of all this and I don't think honestly I I don't think we would have seen each other's faces if this weren't for the Mm -hmm. shutdown you know so like it was nice it's a it's a in the middle of all this isolation it's really nice that there's we're countering it with some really great interaction and connections. Yeah. yeah. And surprising yeah. and things that are surprising and really refreshing. So which mm-hmm. fits right into our topic today because we're talking about connection and, and attachment and how important that is. And if there was ever a time <laughs> that we were all aware of how important attachment and relationship is, it's right now. Um, of course, you miss things the most when they've gone away <laughs> or at least seem like they've gone away. They haven't really gone anywhere. But um, so... We noticed in listening back on some of our previous episodes that we talk a lot about like loving, trusting, feeding relationships, but we've never really talked about why or what that looks like in any great detail. We talk a lot about pressure and other things. So we thought today we might just focus on the relationship and why we talk about it so much and what the kind of key elements uh, are. So Mm -hmm. just to kind of like lay it out there, feeding and attachment, um, in, in relationship with caregivers or parents in particular in this case are inextricably linked. And I think you could know that if you've ever been around a newborn, it doesn't have a feeding tube or hasn't had a medically complex start. You know, that's how kids learn attachment in, in a big way. There's other ways as most of our two, to be parents know there's other ways to, to learn to be attached, but that is a really primary way to learn that you're, you trust your family member to meet your needs, your, your parent to meet your needs. Um, you learn how to 
speak or cry in order to get those needs met. You learn that when you do, there's going to, somebody's going to listen. Um, and so just to, that's why, that's one of the whys is that it's, you can't really separate attachment from feeding. You can't really, or you shouldn't, <laughs> we should really be right. focused on keeping them together because that's the way that they belong. And if they are separated, it's worth the protection. It's worth the attention because it is such a foundational thing, because we know um, very like there's years and years and years of research on this. We know how important it is. So that's why it's a, it's worth this extra discussion. Yeah. It's worth this extra time. It's worth this protection. Right. So that's one really great point. Like if you, if, if you had a two, if it, your child has a two because they've never been able to eat or they were only able to eat for a period of time and then had something happen that made them not be able to eat, a big piece of that opportunity for attachment was taken away or replaced with other things. And it can be replaced with other things. So you just want to be extra cautious because it is such a large part of the way that we learn to be in healthy relationship with others. Um, it, it's just, it deserves attention because we want to be really careful that we're not compromising it, that we're doing everything we can to kind of nurture the development of healthy attachments around feeding, even if feeding hasn't happened the way that you imagined it would when you were getting ready to have a child or, um, you know, the way that you had hoped for your little one. So it, it can still be done. And then just to dive in, I mean, you alluded to some reasons, like there's a lot of reasons why attachment is super important in life. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And it leads towards the beginning communication. It leads towards the beginning of your self-worth and your self-concept and your autonomy and your, um, your ability to be a person who takes care of their own body. And, you know, there's just so many roads that that goes down. And I think, um, when I worked at the hospital, I think a lot of people knew that the doctors knew that, but it felt fluffy. It felt like an extra to all of these other things instead of an additional important component that we know it. Like that'd be nice if we could, but we've got got this feeding thing to accomplish. And so we'll worry about attachment later. And that's also something I ran into in a variety of different settings early in my career. Well, everything that Heidi just said in terms of like why it's important is not just kind of true to what we know, but it's also supported in the literature, the medical um, scientific literature, that high quality feeding interactions early in life are really um, intricately linked to later development of things like cognition and language abilities, and then also really predictive of healthy relationship with others later in life. So people are like, food, really? But yes, that's true. Healthy feeding relationships are linked in the research to those things early in life. Now, if your child has a tube and needs a tube and is going to be on a tube for a long time and this isn't the time to wean, you probably aren't listening right now, (laughs) but (laughs) that's okay too. There's things that you can do to foster healthy feeding around the two too. But, but we're, we're pointing out like when you're ready to address food, you just want to make sure that the relationship, the interaction between the feed, the person who's eating and the person who's feeding them is really high quality and encouraging attachment. I think you say it really well, Jenny, most of the time is saying that if, what am I doing? Is it going to 
support this relationship? Is it going to support the interaction with the families? Is it going to support that or is it going to erode it further? Yeah. So when you're faced with a decision, that's a good, Mm -hmm. that's a good kind of barometer to just say, is this going to help my child trust me in general or around food more? Because both are really valuable. And we also know that kind of the converse is true, that when there is insecure attachment or when things happen to erode the attachment or the trust in a relationship, um, it can have a negative impact on growth and feeding. And so Mm -hmm. we don't want to do anything in attempt to get over feeding challenges that erodes trust and therefore inadvertently increases your child's risk of of, you know, having growth problems or, or not being able to eat in the way that um, allows them to, to thrive later on in life. And mm-hmm. so um, just kind of helpful to look at things that you're doing through that lens. Are we building this attachment? Are we doing things that are preserving it, that are nurturing it and providing a really kind of safe, predictable, trusting environment for feeding and everything to take place in? Right. Right. I think that um, one of the things that we've seen is that, unfortunately, because as we've discussed a lot, that um, some of the things that we know that are eroding to this relationship happen more often for kids who have feeding tubes, for kids who have disabilities. And the problem is that it feels justified because you say, well, I know this is important, but I have to get them to eat. I know this is important, but I have to do that. And if you have this sort of centering piece for yourself or for you to share with other professionals of the importance of um, supporting that trust, attachment, autonomy, then you have a, a foundation for yourself to go back to. I'm just saying it's not justified because of, you know, yeah. the attachment is important. And I know we've talked about this when we've talked about other therapies, but there is some evidence. You can understand why people go down those roads. I mean, because like roads where kids are, their cues aren't being listened to, they're reluctant or afraid, they're mm-hmm. anxious around food or around the feeder and it's encouraged or there's pressure and it's just a negative experience. But people, you're desperate. Parents would do anything to help your kids. So you end up going down different roads or trusting people because you just desperately want your kid to be able to experience food in a different way. Right. And so I totally get why that happens. But in it, while it is supported sometimes by short-term gains, you can see your child took a bite of something when they haven't taken a bite in a long time or they take a bite more every so often in therapy or maybe even way more than that in the short term, that they're able to eat way more, you know, uh, three quarters of their serving by mouth or something like that. It, but what, what their research shows is actually that without when you abandon attachment, trust and healthy relationships around food, that it increases the risk of feeding challenges later. So you might, it's just worth knowing that it might get you a little bit of what looks like progress, but it, it, that progress can erode because it's not built on a solid foundation. And so we like that kind of pyramid example. We use the visual of a pyramid that we got to really spend a lot of time and energy and mindfulness on the low, lower level foundations of the pyramid so that we can get kids up to the skill level and the quantity so that they're actually quantity and variety that's right for them so that they're actually thriving and really doing well. 
So maybe it would help if we talked a little bit about some of the things you can look for, some of the things you can think about, some of the things that you can consider when you're trying to determine what to do, how to move ahead, which situations to be a part of and which to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the examples that you gave, Jenny, that's such a good one is if a child is frightened in a current setting or situation or they're separated from their parents in a way that seems scary, that's maybe one that would you could maybe have a discussion about a different way to do it or find a different setting or, you know, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. And I think, I think when it comes to like, who's in the room, the parents should always be in the room. You you know, we talk about this all the time, but um, you, you you shouldn't, we shouldn't be learning to eat without our parents present. That's the normal or normal way that we learn how to eat. And there's a reason for that. It's all this attachment stuff. Right. And so while the feeding thing might be complex for you and your child still because of the tube or any the problems that led to the tube, um, you still are your child's primary right. source of comfort. So we just want to make sure that we're encouraging that you're still able to provide comfort and that you're not being asked to abandon that role. And I think, you know, for people who have child care providers or daycare settings where there's someone that's a consistent, trusted, regular person standing in as the role of caregiver, I think that's another trusted, consistent, regular provider that can Mm -hmm. do those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, And and I think one of the things that you said when we were talking about this earlier, Jenny, that I like so much is that trust in a relationship is consistency and reliability. Yes. Yeah. And so you don't, so that's true. The trust, consistency and reliability, and you should know what's coming. And we find a lot. So that helps. You don't want to surprise your kids with things in their mouth. You don't want to rush things towards their face. You don't want to sneak things in that they weren't prepared for. Um, Because that's not how we build trust or attachment. It's actually counter to it. And so just kind of keeping in mind that we wouldn't want to be doing that, but I can hear the mom and me is like, but he's taking more, right? My little guy's taking more than he took a month ago. It's, it's, he's doing it. And yes, again, back to the short-term, long-term trade-off here. You will have more success when it's time to wean if you make a concerted effort to build trust and let your child know that you're going to respect their boundaries for a period forever around food, um, keeping your boundaries intact in terms of how we behave in the house and whatever your rules are for your family, but maintaining that autonomy around the body. It's really great for attachment. It's, it's essential actually for attachment. It's not, it's not just a extra, it's essential. It's also really good for safety. Um, Heidi talks about kids and their bodies. What is your, what are you, what were you pointing out the other day about children? Teaching, and their bodies? Yeah, yeah. Teaching kids to, um, respect and protect their own bodies is everybody's job. It is. It is. And that might matter how small. Right. That might be respecting a refusal at the dinner table when you just really want them to eat that thing because you know that they would like it if they could just put it in their mouth. <laughs> or their brother does. So can't you just eat it? Like that sounds small and simple and tempting to do. I realize I get it. But um, it really is a safety thing too, because the more kids learn that they're safe with you and that they're safe, that their body, that there's limits, that they're, that people can't do things to their body. That's protective against abuse and other right. things later in life. So that's another right. reason why this healthy attachment is so key. 
I think one of the things that you and I end up looking at a lot and the other team members as well, we all put a lot of focus on this when we have videos coming in or we're talking to families that we're working with. And I'm often looking for their little shoulders to relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. No matter how young they are, there's a lot of parents who um, it seems really subtle and we think, you know, are they hesitant? Are they not hungry? And a lot of times you can see just in their body posture, if they're relaxed and they're like taking a deep breath and jumping into the deep end because they want to please their parents, or if they're actually truly relaxed in that situation and feel like they can trust what's coming into them. And if you pay attention with that lens, you can see it, you know, when your kids are comfortable and when, and when they're not, but sometimes that those lenses so can go away when it comes around food. And here's another, that, that, yeah, that's true. Those physical things are pretty obvious once you train yourself to remember to start looking for them again. And then another one that's really helpful is, are, is your, are you um, getting your child to eat or are they, are they eating because they want to? Or engaged in the therapy or the thing that you're doing to help them because they want to. And most people, when you ask them that question, know the answer. Oh, he's doing better, but it's because of this reward or because he knows I need him to do it. It's not an internal drive. And that's really helpful. And then one other thought that just popped into my mind that we were talking about with our colleague, Lauren Foster, who is a professor at Kansas. She, um, she teaches occupational therapy. I'm an occupational therapist. And so we were just talking about how you can't really separate out the parent and the child in the relationship. You're, you're really, the, the 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 relationship around food. There's the parent. There's their child, and then there's the the middle. There's the there's the way, there's where we overlap with our children. And when it comes to feeding, we that middle ground. If you could imagine your child like overlapping circles of your child and you, that place mm-hmm. in the middle. That's the sweet spot where feeding should be happening. You maybe prepared it, offered it, accepted refusal, they refused it, cried, got more or got less, whatever the cry was for. That's where, that's where feeding should take place in that overlapped, attached place um, that it isn't all about the child. Even if your child has skill problems or issues that cause them to not be able to eat, and even if you have goals and wishes and desires for your child to overcome, those things can all still happen. But the real progress happens when we focus on the overlap. That's when we see true change in relationships around food. Yeah. Yeah. Marcia Dunklein has a great visual that I love that when she talks about the get permission approach to Mm -hmm. feeding Mm -hmm. and it's both parent and child leading in, you know, not parent pursuing the child, not child pursuing the parent, but both people angling in over the the plate or the meal or the bottle or the bowl or whatever, Mm -hmm. that both people are engaged in that task together equally. You know, we may be supporting them more, but our goal is for this to be a a thing that we do together, not one pursuing the other. And, and, you know, just to kind of reiterate, it does feel fluffy to talk about this sometimes. It is so worth it in terms of, you know, there's nothing more important in the world than loving and being attached to other people. That's, that's what it's all about. But from a scientific standpoint, also, right. we're, it's, prote- it's protecting your child's health in the long term, not just in general, like cognitive and language development, um, emotional relationships, but also it's protecting their relationship with food and increasing their chances of being a truly happy and healthy eater. Right. And that's, right. What, that's what we're all here for. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think, you know, so we'll put in the show notes some of the references that we've talked about for those of you who are working with teams at home or, you know, just starting this process with your therapist or even family members. It's actually, you know, there's always those helpful yet not so helpful family members who are like, did you try and what about? And, (laughs) you know, for those, it's helpful to, to know that there's something in your back pocket that what you're insisting on isn't just fluffy and extra and you know, being sensitive to things that it's actually truthfully foundational and worth your time. And so we'll put some of those references in the show notes as well. So you can pull them out for your discussions with other professionals. Yeah. As you we'll discuss that pyramid too, again, so that people can go back and check out, you know, where those, where the, the places at the bottom of the pyramid, not to skip that often get skipped. And then just to end on like another positive note, if you in reflecting on this, think that maybe your child's been in a situation, whether it be with you or a family member or in therapy, that's maybe not fostered attachment in the best way possible, despite all the other things that are, that are in in your, in their life. Um, The first step is always just to start doing it, you know, in an, in a loving and attached way that's respectful to your child's body and the division of responsibility is another really awesome tool, which is just a, it's, it's a, a paradigm that was created by Ellen Satter that helps people think about, we've talked about it a million times, um, what's the parent's role and what the child's role is. And the parent's role is to decide what's offered and when it's offered. And the child's job is essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, to decide if they're going to eat and if so, how much. And um, I don't know, I always find that helpful because if it's not in those elements, then you're probably not, if if you're not staying in those roles, it's probably not building attachment. So if you're not sure, and it sometimes can feel great because we're all just trying to help our kids, um, thinking about kind of some of these other ways of uh, um, thinking about mealtimes might help you decode it so you can figure out what to do next. Uh, give you something to do if you're concerned about it. One of the things that you say a lot, Jenny, that I like is when, and I don't think we've said it today, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> if we have it, it's worth repeating, but just is this next bite, sip, request, whatever, is this building trust that's going to lead towards a successful time next time or for my child to relax? Is this building trust or is this eroding trust? Yeah. Is this next bite worth the consequence of having them not trust me next time. Next bite, next intervention, next therapy, next appointment, whatever it is, it's a great decision maker. Yeah. Is it, is that's how you know, and you don't have to know the next answer. Just if it's not, then you're, you're not building attachment. And the other thing that's awesome about attachment is that most of our families of kids with tubes have been through the ringer. And the other really nice thing about focusing on attachment and that middle ground between parent and child is that it's really healing for the child and any trauma they have around food, but it's also really healing for parents to start to be able to like not do things that feel perhaps counter to their intuition and help the child learn to feel comfortable at the table. We tend to get feedback from from fam- from parents that it helped them immensely too. Mm-hmm. And you know, we just hope that everybody that's at your table um, or high chair, wherever they're eating, <laughs> um, is is really enjoying not just the meal, but also um, the people that they're that they're together with. Yeah, yeah. We hope you guys are all hanging in there. <laughs> no, exactly. We hope everybody's doing great. Um, don't forget to check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love it if you could give us a review. We'd love to. We'd love to hear feedback about um, 
if you like the show, we'd love to know that. And then also, if you have any ideas about things that um, you'd like to hear more about, you could email us at thrive, um, thrive at spectrumpediatrics.com is our email address. So feel free to go ahead and email us show ideas or comments or feedback about any episodes or any past episodes, this episode or future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Stay well, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tube to Table podcast. Every week, we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media and Instagram and Facebook. We can be found at Thrive with Spectrum. And on Twitter, you can find us at Thrive with SP. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week. 